You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Thursday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to be back with you guys in a new series that we're beginning today uh, called Kings and Shepherds, where we're going to study the books of Samuel and Kings. Uh, We're not going to go verse by verse as we've done in other series. Instead, we're going to look at some of the uh, the most mentioned characters are the, the ones whose stories seem to frame uh, the overall narrative of the, the, uh, the books of Samuel and, and first and second Samuel and first and second Kings. So we're, we're looking forward to this study. We're going to start today with the, the uh, sort of prophet and priest Samuel and uh, dig into to his story and, and see how God was at work in his story. And we'll do that with other uh, characters. Uh, if you want to know what those are, you'll have to come join us uh, each week to find out. But uh, we are excited for this series and hope that uh, you are as well. But I guess before we begin we, our discussion, let's go ahead and go before our Lord in prayer. So please join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, for your presence among us through your word and with your Holy Spirit abiding in us so that we might uh, fully understand what it is that you have to communicate to us. As we study Samuel today, I pray that you'll help us to see your plan at work in the midst of your people. And although the, the people that you have chosen are no longer a, a nation in an earthly sense, they are a nation in an eternal sense, and we are a part of, of that people. And so we thank you for choosing us, for guiding us, uh, for giving us a king who can uh, rule over our lives and who we can serve. I pray, Heavenly Father, that if it be your will, you'll bless the the contemplations and the thoughts of the hearts that are listening today. I pray that you'll guide our, our path of discipleship so that we can turn to you, we can honor and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also love our neighbor as ourself. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. So as you mentioned, we're not going to go through every passage of Scripture, and but we will start with Samuel in First Samuel. And... Um, uh, it maybe just to review a little bit, it, uh, it opens in first Samuel with, um, Samuel's mother being barren and not being able to have children. And so they go and they, they worship where Eli, the priest is at. And, um, she's, uh, she kind of pours out her heart to God, mm-hmm. asking God if, if he might, uh, bless her with a child and, uh, we find out that he does. Yeah. And, and to sort of set the geopolitical stage uh, as well as the personal stage with Samuel and Hannah, it's also true that the people of Israel are at this sort of transition moment where mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, they've had, you know, generation after generation of judges, some good, most not so good. Uh, if you go through and read any part of the book of Judges, you'll see it plays out in not such a godly kind of a way. Most of the the judges and the stories surrounding them are pretty brutal, pretty uh, carnal, a lot of sin going on, a lot of uh, some pretty wretched things going on in those books. And, and that is the kind of backdrop or the, or the lead-in to this series on Samuel where we see there's the people of Israel are at this kind of crossroads moment where they see um, that, that God is there, but they also see that, that the people in general are kind of apathetic in some ways to what God has to say. They, they 
kind of pay lip service to his his sovereignty over the people of Israel, but they want to do something different. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. So it's the the period of the judges, and uh, we think back to uh, we've done the the judges before and we think back to the theme people did what they thought was right in their own eyes was kind of the theme of what was going on there should we say anything about the judges themselves sometimes when we think of judges today we think of uh, people that make decisions in court about law um, um, and while they did some of that most of the judges were a little bit different yeah they they more resembled kind of barbarian chieftains than they did actual like sit behind a, a desk with a gavel making, you know, judgments kind of people. They basically led with a sword. And um, most of them, uh, the most of them, the only good thing to say about them was that they defeated the enemies of the children of Israel, but most of the time in doing so, they also damaged the people of Israel themselves. And uh, so so it's kind of, you can go through each story and and the good ones, even the good ones still are, are, probably men and, and women of faith that you might not want to emulate so much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. We definitely see their flaws. They come out again and again. And, and, uh, and the good news is that even despite that, God is at work, uh, working through his people uh, towards a, a goal and a plan that we're going to, uh, uh, that will come a, a little more clearly into focus as we begin to talk about some of the kings. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a reading that we're going to begin with. So uh, the first, the first thing we want to really talk about is sort of the 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 Lord's calling of Samuel. We heard about how Hannah prayed to God, and and how uh, and now we're going to hear about how God is faithful uh, to Hannah. So we're going to read First Samuel chapter three. If you have your Bibles, uh, each section today we're going to read a portion of the Bible and then talk about uh, what it what it means. So First Samuel chapter three, and we'll read the first ten verses. So I'll go ahead and do that right now. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if the Lord calls you, speak, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord called the Lord came and stood there, calling at Uh, At the other times, Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Okay. Um, So here we find um, Samuel is born. He's been brought to the services of God's house. Uh, He's there with uh, Eli in the temple. He's um, uh, serving side by side with Eli. Um, and and uh, Eli is kind of teaching him the basics of taking care of the the tabernacle at that time. Mm -hmm. And so um, um, 
prior to this, we talked about um, uh, Samuel's mother having prayed to God, asking for a son. And there's, there's kind of a, a miraculous uh, answer to her prayer. God says yes, even though she's unable to have children. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, is there any highlights as we talk about this uh, God's divine intervention? Yeah. Uh, well, this the is the life of this. Sort of the first of many divine interventions in these books where we see God uh, stepping in to intercede on behalf of someone who prays with great faith. We see this. Uh, several times in the books of Samuel and Kings. So this is one of the first ones where we see this kind of God stepping into the story to intervene. Um, and so I think that this is uh, a good one. This is one that sets the stage for the whole thing. Samuel is kind of the guy who gets these events rolling, and, and, um, and, and it's fitting then that God uh, brings Samuel into the world in such a, an interesting way where he goes to a woman who's faithful but has no prospects for having a child who uh, who is is truly feeling wretched about herself and cries out to the Lord and the Lord says yes you, you can have the child but there there's stipulations you know that they're we're going to use this child for my purposes and so uh, yeah that's that's what happens and what we see yeah um, we could even say that Samuel's name mm -hmm. uh, has significance uh, uh, so Shama means to hear mm -hmm. uh, uh, L is the shortened form of God's name, so uh, it was uh, fitting to name him Samuel as God would hear the prayer of Hannah mm -hmm. uh, and answer, so they, they named their child appropriately. Yeah. And, um, um, and we do see this uh, uh, humble action of, of Samuel's mother as she cries out to the Lord and, and that theme of, of uh, God working through his, his humble people all through Samuel. We see it time and time again. Yep. And, uh, uh, and so Samuel is, is dedicated to, uh, to work in the house of the Lord. Uh, are, are there some other lessons that can be drawn from Samuel's early life um, about the importance of this humble mentorship and spiritual leadership? Yeah, I, th takes place. I think this passage from 1 Samuel 3 shows us this, this sort of way that the Lord calls uh, men and women of faith to, to serve him. Um, here he's literally calling Samuel by name. And Eli instructs him of the right way to approach God's calling, right? That you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You, you humble yourself before the Lord uh, and you, you say, whatever it is that you're calling is God, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's do it. And that, that model of of humble servanthood is one that we'll see resonate with the priests and the kings throughout the rest of the books of the, the books that we're going to read in. Um, all of the characters have have moments where they're really good at being humble servants, and they have moments where they're not so good at it. And Samuel here, it's Eli is showcasing for Samuel here what it looks like to be a humble servant. Uh, and to receive that mentorship from from a spiritual leader is a, a theme which we'll see resonate over and over again in our in our readings. Yeah, and we uh, hearing the prayer. Uh, we didn't read the prayer of Hannah early on in in First Samuel, but uh, her prayer reminded me a little bit of Mary's prayer mm. uh, when God chose her at, to be the mother of our Lord, and. Um, uh, we see that kind of, uh, we hear about David uh, in his humble life. Uh, he had very humble beginnings as a shepherd boy. Um, and, and God works through his, his humbleness to, to place him in the position that he wants him to be in. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so this theme comes back um, again and again, and, and we see that God is behind, behind the scenes doing the work of raising up this, this faithful priest, Samuel, to do his work. Um, uh, the next section, shall we go on? So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit the fast forward button a little bit uh, since we're only spending a day with each each character. We kind of want to make sure to zoom through their life. And, and I mean, Samuel lives to be an old man, so he does a lot uh, of work ministering to God's people. And so we're gonna skip forward to First Samuel chapter eight, and we're gonna hear about the transition from the the leadership of the judges, with God kind of being the the king over Israel to their desire for monarchy. So we're going to read that passage now. Okay, and we'll read a couple different sections. We'll read chapter 8, verses 4 through 10, and then we'll skip down to 19 and read 19 to 22. Uh, so beginning with verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Is it, not, it is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And then skipping down to verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Okay. And um, so here Samuel's role was a, a prophet and a judge as he was leading his people during this time. Uh, we recognize that there was some conflicting ways of governing mm -hmm. uh, between Israel and the surrounding nations. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's absolutely true from the very beginning. Whenever the Israelites first cross into the, the Holy Land, uh, they look different, and they operate differently. Uh, their army is different, and their leaders are certainly different. They carry around the Ark of the Covenant to represent the presence of God in their midst. They dwell in tents, and they pick them up and put them down wherever they go. They're just kind of different, and it's absolutely true that even to this day, you never really will see another governing structure quite like God established with the judges over the people of Israel during their, their time in the land of Canaan. Um, and probably with good reason. I mean, if, we, if you're not in the Lord, if you're disobeying his precepts, then to, then to call him the, the king uh, doesn't do much good for, for your, you know, your people because people aren't respecting the king you know, if it's God. So, yeah. So we've, we've talked about judges, and um, we also want to talk a little bit about Samuel's role as a prophet. Mm -hmm. uh, a prophet, the word prophet means to speak forth. So a prophet of God was one who would speak forth God's words to the people. Um, 
even when they had different ideas uh, than what God had about how they should be led. And um, so he was this, this go-between uh, between the people of Israel. And uh, there were times he was not pleased, but appropriately he went to God and he shared what the people were saying. Uh, and then God would give him his response and he would go back to the people and share with the people what God was saying. Yeah. And uh, so something that, I, that uh, sort of stuck out in my mind is that phrase of God when he's speaking with Samuel, where he says, the people have not rejected you as their leader, they've rejected me as their king. And that's, that's something that I think is, is uh, very central to the theme that we're talking about here. The people of God in Israel are not truly the people of God. They, they do not see God as the right uh, leader for their people, and they rejected him in favor of an earthly authority. And that's, that's the seed that grows into this really problematic um, monastic dynasty that that eventually leads to the to the destruction of Israel, and uh, and how how often do we today look to uh, leaders, yes. uh, civil leaders, um, uh, to lead us out of the problems that oftentimes we've brought upon ourselves? Yeah, definitely. And uh, we, we do that nationally. We do that, um, you know, statewide, locally, uh, and um, we. We want, and then we have an idea about how things should be done, and so we we push for that, and oftentimes we make matters worse instead of better. So that maybe a question then that pops up is: in in this day and age, God sent prophets to speak the truth about uh, Israel's falling away from Him. Does God still today send prophetic voices into our lives to help us to turn away from the path that we're heading on towards wickedness to return to? His path of righteousness. Yeah, so if, if a prophet is one who speaks forth God's word, uh, who are the people that do that? Uh, one of the hopefully uh, pastors, are hopers, doing that. pastors do that. We speak God's word, and uh, hopefully that takes place from the pulpit. Yeah. Um, that's, we have warnings all through Scripture about speaking God's word faithfully and, and how important that is. And, and so that's what we want to do as pastors. And, um, and yet we also find that God can, can work through other people to speak his word uh, in a powerful way. Uh, sometimes he chooses uh, leaders. Um, sometimes he chooses, uh, um, I think of Harry Wendt, uh, used to talk about God has given everyone a pulpit. Mm. And, and uh, so he's given us a, a place to, to live out the life that, that God has called us to live and to speak his words no matter uh, if we're a pastor or uh, a businessman or a teacher or some other leader, um, God has always has given to each each of us a pulpit to speak His word and to lead with integrity. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, a couple of questions. Uh, maybe what are some of the consequences of Israel's desire for a king, um, and how does that relate to the theme of human leadership versus divine leadership? Yeah, so I think that one of the things God does is from the very beginning, he says, I'm warning you, this is not going to turn out good for you. You may think this is what you want, but it is really not what you want at all because you want somebody who's a human king because you think that a human king will better represent your interests than a divine king. But in reality, what a human king will do is he will lord over you. He will, he will uh, you know, push you to get what he is due as the king and you will you'll be ruled with an iron fist. And that's essentially exactly what happens. The people of Israel from this time 
basically this time until the exile are adrift at the whims of, of kings, both good and bad. Uh, and they, they, have no, um, they have no recourse for, for protesting against the king because they essentially begged for a king. And, and to tie it into sort of what you were saying is like, what do we do that with in, in today's day and age? What, what do we think is the best thing for us and that, we, that we essentially say, I don't need God in this part of my life, I need this. And, and then that thing ends up being destructive towards the end that you wanted it to be there for you in, in, the, in the onset anyways. So, you know, people do that with money, people do that with family things, people do that with their jobs, and it's a, it's a problem of idolatry, right? We want to keep God in the appropriate place in our lives. Yeah, there's a, a specific warning that, that the Lord gives to Samuel to share with the people, and, and I'd actually like to read that. It's, it's also from Second Kings, um, and it begins in chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, for Samuel, you mean? I'm, I'm sorry, for Samuel, chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, He said, this is what a king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of the chariots. Some Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, others to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your manservants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king uh, that you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. Oof. And so God is very clear, this is what's going to happen. Um, you're going to cry out to me for help, and I'm not going to listen to you yeah. because you don't see me as your king. That's, that's a terrible fate, right? Yeah. Uh, find yourself in a, a pit so deep when you cry out for help, no one's there to help. Oh, that's bad. And yeah. it's a, a pit of your own making, too. That's the hard part. Yeah. So, so how does Samuel's role as a, as a judge address the challenges uh, of warring neighbors and spiritual degradation? Um, uh, and what can we learn from uh, some of these leadership themes that uh, are going on at this time? So, so Samuel um, r- sort of relents to the people at the Lord's instruction, but he does so begrudgingly. He does so warning them all along the way. And I think that you can kind of see that in in the world around us when I talked about who are the voices which are prophets in your life. Um, I think that is a great a great example of spiritual leadership in, in, a, in a society, in a world, in a culture where God's will and, and, and things that are truly good and righteous are being um, being put aside for things that are of human desires and, and desires of the flesh. And, and pursuits of the human heart rather than a, a, the, a pursuit of God's divine heart. Uh, that, that's what we're looking for, someone who can um, say, you know, the culture is going to do what the culture is going to do. It's not Christian's job to try and to, to, to eradicate the sin of our neighbors. Instead, what we, what we focus on is people who can speak the truth in love, who can be those prophetic voices to say, um, 
you know, I, I'm just putting the warning out there because I don't want you to say I didn't know. When you find yourself in that in that place of a pit, when you find yourself in a place where you're crying out for some kind of help from some higher power to bring you out of the desolation that that of your own design, I, I warned you. You know, mm -hmm. I did the best I could to try and help you to turn around and repent from that path and return to something good. And um, and so that's that's a spiritual leader in in a world where there's a, a crisis of conscience and morality. It's saying like. You can't devise your own morality. You can't come up with something that is good in the human heart. There is a uh, a law that's that's as sure and true in our world as the law of gravity, and it's the law from God. It's His commands, the way we live, and we're called to follow those. At the same time, we also recognize the power of the gospel too. So we speak both law and gospel in truth, but in, in love, but also in in truth. Yeah. Um, and it and and we're blessed to have leaders that have godly wisdom um, that can discern um, uh, in those difficult situations uh, uh, the path that we should go down. Yeah. And um, God has given that to His people through Samuel. And uh, uh, despite that, uh, God still loves His people, and He's still going to to, to guide them. Yeah. And so we. Um, um, we go on and uh, we find that he anoints the first king and the first king is King Saul. And so we're going to go on and read this next section from 1 Samuel chapter 10. Yeah, 1 Samuel 10. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 1 of, of the 10 because that's when he actually does the anointing, but he discusses it more later. He says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? So that's when the anointing takes place. It's kind of in private, uh, but there's sort of more of a public um, proclamation uh, of his position in verses 14 to 24. So we'll read that. Um, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been looking for the donkeys, Saul said. But when he saw that they were not found, he went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle that, uh, what Samuel had said about the kingship. Um, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Is Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your calamities and distress. And now you have said, No, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and they brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man that the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Okay. Um. 
early on, we, we hear some stories about um, Saul as he becomes king. He's successful in battle against Israel's enemies. Um, the king is uh, anointed, um, which is also significant. And maybe we should pause there and ask, what's the significance of anointing yeah. someone uh, with, uh, with oil? Yeah, it's, it's not an uncommon practice to sort of ritualistically purify uh, an object. It had more of a, almost a religious significance, but it was actually a practice which was done by a lot of people, not just the Israelites. Uh, this anointing of the head with oil was sort of like a way of saying that uh, you are the head over our country, and so we want the head of our head to be pure. And uh, that became a symbol which each king progressively um, was had his head uh, anointed to mark him as the the God's chosen leader over over the nation. So um, even even to some extent, I I believe in in, in modern monarchies when uh, King Charles was actually um, coronated, I believe there's a ritual that was done where they anointed his head with oil in in the in the abbey there, in Westminster Abbey. Um, so an interesting symbolism even to this day, which is passed down yeah. to kings. Um, we, um, they also anointed other things. So they, they anointed or consecrated uh, objects that were used in the temple mm-hmm. uh, to be used by God. Uh, there were other people that were anointed besides kings. Uh, so we, um, uh, the anointing of, of prophets and priests mm-hmm. as well. And so this anointing was, in a sense, a setting aside a person for God or thing for God's purposes, and um, and that's what they were doing with uh, with King Saul here. They were setting setting him aside uh, for the purposes that were uh, determined by God, and um, and so a very significant event that took place uh, in the lives of God's people uh, as Saul was anointed. Uh, is there any other significance uh, to the idea? Uh, that priests or judges or prophets uh, of the nation of Israel um, uh, uh, anointed the king. king. Yeah. Um, So I I think there is. I think that uh, I think that this was probably not an endeavor which was taken by many of the other nations in Canaan or around. They probably more had like kings that said like, I I, I am the king because I'm the strongest warrior. I'm the king because I have the most gold or whatever, but even in the midst of God's scolding of the people of Israel, you don't, trust me, you don't want this king. He says, this is my anointed, like it's the one that he has set apart, he's chosen. And so even even with this kind of confused, um, this confused idea that the king is in charge of everything with the other nations, it's quite clear that the king has been chosen by God, is subordinate to God, is actually derives his power from God's divine will, which is even a principle today when we talk about where does government get its power, where do kings get their authority, where do presidents and congress people get their authority. Um, we would say, as Christians, we would say all authority comes from God. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea that that the priest or the chief priest or the highest kind of religious authority is the one who places this special marker upon the secular authority is an interesting, uh, an interesting kind of duality that shows this idea of the authority of the state and the authority of, of the church or religion or God, um, even at play, these 
several thousand years ago. Yeah, we kind of see a, a, an expanse or a growth of God's uh, authority and the presence of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, primarily started with the priests, uh, and now we're going to have a, uh, uh, a leader of the people that isn't out of the priestly group of people, the Levites, uh, that is going to begin ruling the people in a different way as a king. And, um, but again, it, it flows from, as you said, flows from God's authority. Yeah. There's a practice later we'll re hopefully we'll get to uh, with some of the, the wicked kings. Like if you talk about, you know, some of the guys in first and second kings who were really bad kings, uh, the, the rightly called priest of God is rejected and thrown out and they raise up their own priests to anoint them. They're kind of lackeys, essentially. So mm -hmm. that shows that the, the dynamic has been thrown out of, of whack uh, as time goes on. So, so we're, gonna, we're gonna keep going um, and uh, talk about the next section of scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, and here we find the fall of King Saul. And uh, we're gonna uh, read verses one through three, nine through 11, and 22 and 23. Um, so this is the, the, the fall, uh, or as the Lord rejects King Saul, uh, beginning with verse one in chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death the men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And then skipping down to verse nine. But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. And then skipping down to verse 22. But Samuel then replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And here we find Samuel talking to Saul. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so Samuel's or Saul's disobedience to God's command uh, results in his rejection uh, by God. And uh, we're going to find out that the Lord is going to choose another king. Uh, but as Samuel rebukes, um, uh, as Samuel rebukes uh, Israel for their desire to have a, a human king and, and then condemns Saul's actions, um, we, we see a, a turn take place. Yep. And uh, so what are some of the specific instances of Saul's disobedience to God's command? Well, he did things that 
kings ha do, and he made difficult decisions. But when he made difficult decisions, he relied on his own wisdom and his own prowess as king and his own, um, you know, militaristic wisdom, and never and, and failed to rely on God and his his plan and his uh, his will. So that was really that. If you want to sum it all up, that's really what the big problem of of Saul, I think, is is summed down to. And Samuel sees this process occurring in Saul, warns him several times. And then finally, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was a direct disobedience of God. Whenever God says, don't, don't uh, salvage the, the goods and the things of the, of the nation that you're going in to destroy, and that's exactly what they do. They take all of the stuff they, for themselves. They, they spare the people so that they try to integrate them. They try and marry into these other fam familial relationships from other people who serve other gods. And, and God's a little upset about that. And, and then it comes down again to this idea that uh, they're getting ready to fight a battle. Uh, and, and Samuel is at delayed. He's supposed to come and offer prayers on behalf of the army of the nation of Israel. And Saul is waiting for Samuel to get there and waiting for Samuel to get there. And it seems like he's not coming. So then he takes it onto himself to consecrate the, the bread and, and offer the, the sacrifices to God so that God will bless their militaristic endeavors, even though he's not supposed to do those things. Then Samuel shows up and he's like, what have you done? <laughs> this is not your job. This is obviously you have turned God into a superstition, right? That you think you can automatically win a battle by going through the motions. And that's, that is sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back with Saul, where God says, I'm done with you. And Samuel lets him know that okay. uh, to his face. He says, God has rejected you as the king. You will not be the king anymore. Okay. So do you think that um, he could have succeeded as king if, if uh, he had a different mentality? It, it's a shoulda, coulda, woulda situation, yeah. but it's it's pretty clear the path that we see with with Saul. Um, the further on we get in the story, you see Saul really take a turn. He stays the king against God's will, and if you're doing things directly against God's will, it doesn't end up very good. And Saul mentally, spiritually, physically takes a really nasty turn. His family suffers for the sake of it. We'll talk about some of this next time. But uh, it, it's important that we see, though, that, that even before the time where God sort of rejected Saul, he was making some bad decisions. He was doing some things which led him down a bad path. And it, and it has to do sort of like what we've been talking about, where he is not putting the desire of God first. He's not acknowledging that as king, he is subordinate to the will of, of Heavenly Father. So um, I think that he could have taken some different um, different uh, paths. His early kingship was a wonderful blessing for the people of Israel. Um, he had great success uh, economically, militarily, governmentally. Um, he honored God a lot with some of his early actions, but, but somewhere along the way, um, he, he took a turn for the worse. Yeah, one of the things that's always uh, kind of bothered me about this story is that the reality is that we, we all sin and fall short. And I don't know if it was a, a, a lack of repentance on his part, um, but there was, a, um, there was a time where God gave him a very specific command, you need to do this, and he disobeyed, and God said, okay, you're not gonna be king. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but I, you know, we think of our own life, there are times where we sin and fall short of God's glory and, and only by God's grace um, uh, does he receive our repentance and, um, and allows us to go on in uh, the positions that he's placed us in. And, um, uh, but here there seems to be a definite coming to an end of, of his reign. Mm -hmm. and, and from then on, um, we don't see God's favor uh, being aligned with Saul. Uh, rather, it's gonna be shifted to uh, a new person, David. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's, it's part of that story has, has uh, always bothered me a little bit yeah. um, just because, and the only thing I can think of is it is it uh, that lack of repentance um, um, that caused that, uh, caused God to say, okay, that's it. What, what it makes me think of a little bit is God's antagonistic relationship with Pharaoh in Egypt. And Saul never started off as Pharaoh. Like from the very get-go, like God was like, Pharaoh, let my people go. You've been oppressing my people. This needs to stop. He always knew. He was always hardening his heart. Um, Saul was God's chosen servant. I think in the beginning, Saul was trying to honor God with what he did as king. And but But it's clear to see that Saul is a cautionary tale for how we can quickly journey from God's chosen to God's enemy if we reject um, to do what he says. His word, yeah. If we reject his word and his plan for, for our, the way we conduct ourselves in our lives. And so I think that's... I think that's pretty much what you see after, after this renunciation of, of uh, Saul's right as king in, um, in these passages from 1 Samuel. It's all downhill from Saul. And he essentially becomes God's enemy. Like he essentially becomes Pharaoh. And God is doing what he will through his, his plans of raising up a little shepherd boy to, to take down the mighty king. And uh, we'll talk about that. In the yeah. future, but yeah. Yeah. So, sometimes in the future, where he acts with a little bit of wisdom, he sometimes repents. But uh, overall, it's it's a down downhill slide, mm -hmm. as God said it would be. Yep. So we've got one more section of scripture we want to look at from First Samuel chapter sixteen. Yep. So I'm going to read First uh, Samuel sixteen, and I'm going to read a portion of verse four down to verse thirteen. So we'll pick up with uh, when he arrived. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. Uh, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. 
He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Okay, so here we have the anointing of David as king. Uh, he was a young shepherd boy, uh, keeping over the, the flocks of his father. Um, uh, even to the point that, you know, uh, uh, David's father had all of his sons pass by. Surely he probably thought one of these older sons is going to be the next chosen king. And no, 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 down the list. And until Samuel asks him, don't you have any more sons? Mm -hmm. um, and he says, well, there's one left. He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep as if to say, you know, he's, he's probably the least important. <laughs> Um, and, and Samuel makes the comments, we're not going to sit down until that, that person comes here. Hmm. Yeah, David is kind of, we're going to talk more about these characters in the future, so I don't get too deep. But when you think about it from Samuel's perspective, Daniel, sorry, David is the anti-Saul. Um, Saul, when he was anointed, was a strong, young, tall, buck kind of a leader, handsome, well-spoken kind of person. And came from a good family, uh, a prestigious family of, of the house of Benjamin. And it was pretty clear, even the people, when they said, give us a king, even the people were like, that's our guy right there. And then you have the exact opposite thing here, in a, in a vacuum. There's no, no outcry for another king, really. There's no, um, except from God, there's no, there's no outcry from the people. There's no public forum to select a king. There's no uh, analysis of the characteristics. Matter of fact, when the first son, uh, Eliab, comes forward, uh, Saul, or sorry, Samuel is so, has in his mind so much the process of how Saul was chosen, that he's like, there's Saul 2.0, that's obviously our guy. And then God's like, nope, we're not going to look at, at a king the way we looked at Saul. We're going to look at it differently because I want, I want this king's honor and glory to be uh, honor and glory, which is all ascribed to me. That's what God is saying. So I'm going to start from the, the lowest of the dregs, a shepherd boy, the youngest of a family, a rural family from Bethlehem, a small little know-nothing know town out in the, in the boonies. And this guy's going to be the king over my people Israel. So it's sort of this anti. -soul. Yeah, doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. Yeah. And um, that's how God makes his determination. Uh, why is it significant that the... Uh, uh, again, the same person anointed the current king who uh, anointed Saul also anointed David. That's, um, I could have put uh, Samuel in a, in a tight spot. Yeah. Well, Samuel was the one who anointed Saul. He's also the one who, who announced the, the rejection of Saul. And then God calls Samuel again to be the one to, to go get David. What, what you could essentially say is since God withdrew the the right to rule or his divine blessing from Saul, you could say in some ways that David is the first true king of the the nation of Israel because even though Daniel, sorry, I keep saying Daniel because I'm trying to say Samuel, even though David has some some low moments, um, he has some moments where he goes against God's will. Certainly, um, his heart is always angled and tilted back towards God, and so God never rejects David in the same way that he that he kind of spits Saul out of his mouth. 
and and so you could, in a lot of ways, say the first true king of of Israel is David, um, because Saul didn't do what the king of Israel was supposed to do, which is to lead from God's will, not from his own. Okay, and, and the fact that Samuel anointed him reminds us that Samuel is still God's representative, carrying out God's plans. And, um, and so, again, we've got God's representative still expanding God's kingdom, but choosing, again, God's anointed Mm-hmm. who happens this time to be, to be David. Uh, so in what ways does David's respect, uh, we see uh, something interesting, David's respect for Saul, as, still as the Lord's anointed, um, uh, despite all of Saul's flaws, um, uh, David still has that respect for him. Yeah. And um, uh, so how does, that, how does that relate to themes of honor and, and authority, um, then and today. Well, the, the interesting thing happens is David, we all know the story of David and Goliath. David defeats Goliath. He goes on to become this kind of folk hero for the nation of Israel. And everybody respects, everybody honors, everybody uh, ascribes authority to David, even though he's not the king. He's just kind of this soldier guy who came out of nowhere. And nobody has any respect or honor for Saul except at sword point, right? Saul kind of demands respect and authority not based on his, his value or his honor, but based on, I'm the king and you'll do it or else, right? And so uh, David has no real reason to honor or respect Saul in the least, but he still, do, he still does so out of respect for the authority which comes from God, that he is the king of the nation of Israel, even though David knows he's been anointed by Samuel to become the king. Uh, he doesn't try to run him out of town. He instead tries to honor the fact that God has kept Saul in this position uh, even, even through these difficult times. And so that shows that he is even of a higher caliber and more worthy of the respect um, as a king than, than Saul is, which shows his true right to be the king. Okay, let's put, put this on dangerous ground okay. and say uh, today, how does that apply to us in respect to those in authority over us? That's what if what if we disagree with uh, the president who's chosen? Sometimes, I mean, um, we know that people have strong opinions of of uh, when someone is chosen as president, and we don't, haven't always had the best representatives uh, of our country being chosen, um, and yet, what would how would God have us respond and live as His people? So we have an interesting dynamic going on in the United States of America. Who chooses the king in Israel? God, God chooses did. the king. Who chooses the president in the United States? We would say that God does. God does, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the process by which he does that he is works. through the people. He yeah. works through people who go to the polls and vote, including Christians. And so we do have this very interesting responsibility that God has chosen the process of a democratic election to be the way that we choose leaders. So we do have two responsibilities. First and foremost, to vote our, our I would almost said conscience, which is kind of true, but really to vote in accordance with God's will. That's even better than voting our conscience. And secondarily, once a, a person is chosen by the process which has been put in place, um, we are to respect that leader and to pray for them and to pray for um, for their success so that the nation will prosper and that people uh, in it will, will experience justice and mercy and uh, order and law. 
Um, however, that's not to say that, that we are to kowtow to the leaders if what they are doing is against God's will. We need to speak out and speak up when we, when we see things that are happening which are against God's will. So we have a twofold responsibility, really. We have a responsibility, like David, to honor the position of ruler that has been appointed by God, even if we don't necessarily agree with everything that the leader is doing. Uh, And then secondarily, because of our position uh, in in being able to select our leaders, we have a very strong responsibility to uh, let God's will guide what we do in 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 the voting booth. Yeah. And we, we also have the responsibility to live out our faith each and every day. And if, if um, that leader, whether it's nationally, statewide, or, or locally, um, uh, deviates from God's will, uh, we are to speak up. Um, not being disrespectful, but uh, uh, to point out if God has a clear will, we're to, to point out uh, what God's will says um, and live accordingly as well. Yep. Um, so there's, there's always a challenge. Sometimes that puts us at odds with, uh, with our elected leaders. Sometimes it puts us at odds with other people as well. Um, uh, but I would rather be at odds with others than at odds with God, right? <laughs> that is true. Um, and, uh, um, and God will still guide us, I, uh, even in the midst of the challenges that go on in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, we see this in David. Uh, David respects Saul. Uh, he he honors him as as God's chosen servant. He doesn't try to take over um, his kingly authority, but he waits on God's timing. He uh, looks to God and places his trust in God uh, until God's timing says, "Now I'm going to I'm going to place you uh, on that throne," okay. um, as as God uh, declared He would be. And so so there's uh, much to learn even today as we live out our life as, as God's people in this place and as we honor those in authority, um, uh, even with all of the challenges that go on around us. Mm-hmm. So, um, so um, um, that brings us to an end of our, our discussion today. Uh, what's, what's coming up in the future? We'll get into our next discussion which I'll go ahead and say is going to be on the topic of Saul. We did talk about Saul today, but we kind of focused through a lens of what Samuel had to say. But I think there's still some, some lessons we can learn from Saul's life about how we can uh, um, learn from some of his pitfalls and uh, also learn from some of his uh, amazing character traits that, that we can benefit from as well. So hopefully you can tune in for that. So that will, that will be in two weeks. Um, But uh, having said that, maybe we should close with a prayer and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in the lives of your people. We thank you for working through those who are humble and accomplishing your purposes. Uh, Remind us always as your servants uh, to honor those in authority uh, and and to recognize that all authority uh, in heaven and on earth comes from you. Uh, We thank you for the privilege of being your people and serving in your church. And we ask, Lord, that um, even as David was your humble servant to carry out your work, that uh, we would, like him, um, recognize who we are as your people and the will that you've given us. And may our heart be like his, uh, one whose heart was after your own. And so, Lord, be with us today. Help us to see what you're doing so we can join you in that work. 
And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and your spirit that guides us in life where we make mistakes. Lord, forgive us uh, and then redirect us always according to your purpose and your plan. So be with us this day. Keep us safe. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad that you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Thursday mornings, and we'll post the podcast on Fridays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.